Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Church, it's so good to be with you this morning. Um, what a difference to not have to preach into the camera at home. And I mean, I, I love my family, but it's uh, it's nice to have them there to cheer me on. But it's nice to have all of you here with us, so we can uh, study God's word together. There's no substitute to replace the local church. If we think of what the local church is, think about it as a lighthouse. And as your ship's coming home in the dark, you need to know where to go. And so the lighthouse provides the light that leads you home. And that is what the church does. It leads us home as we navigate our way through these challenging times. And again, I'm thankful for all the things we're celebrating and all the wonderful things that God is doing amongst ourselves. And and so I want to thank Hamilton and the worship team that led us in these sweet songs. This morning, just so good to be able to sing these truths together, is it not? Just so good to be able to sing. And also for everyone that's helping here with the setup and, and so forth, and Akani leading the service and for that prayer. But now we have the privilege of studying God's Word. And today we are focusing our attention on Psalm 32. Psalm 32. We are back together again in person after this shorter period of isolation, and we want to look at the living and active Word of God. The living and active Word of God, which is the true medicine we need for our souls. And I thought for our first time back after all these weeks in isolation, we could turn to the Psalms, and because the Psalms teaches us how Christians should relate to God. How Christians should relate to God. And I really want us to slow down today And I want you to really think about what is your relationship with God really like right now? What is your relationship with God like right now? Would you say your relationship with God is marked by true joy and happiness? Are you and God on speaking terms? What does your prayer life look like right now? Or is there something that is hindering your walk with God at the moment? In other words, are you happy? Are you happy? Do you know what is producing that happiness in your life? Because that is what we want, right? We want to be joyful and happy and have the kind of faith that remains joyful and happy even in the midst of these crazy times that we are living in. We want to be happy in our marriages. We want to be happy in how we're raising our kids. We want to be happy in our relationship with the rest of the church family as well. Our co-workers, our friends. We want to be happy people in an unhappy world right now. But what is the basis for your happiness? 
What is the basis for your happiness? Is it not knowing how much God loves you and is for you no matter what the circumstances are? Is it not understanding how much you have been forgiven by Jesus knowing that your sin against Him every single day? In our text today, King David is going to show us that true happiness and blessing comes from knowing how forgiven we are. How honesty and forgiveness is the true source of real happiness in this life. And that understanding how forgiven we really are, it actually compels us to confess our sins to God. To live a life of continually confessing our sins to God. Because one of the problems of not experiencing true joy in your relationship with God is the problem of unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin. Where we try to rather hide it, or pretend it's not there, or maybe even have the wrong theology because you believe, I did confess my sins to Jesus. I did put my trust in Him when I became a Christian. So why do I need to keep confessing my sins to God? He knows what I've done wrong. He knows what I'm struggling with right now. He knows how overwhelmed I get because of my sin. But what we will see from this very helpful and practical experience of David is that our relationship with God can be one that is marked by constant joy and happiness if we really understand the importance of confessing our sins to Him. So today's message is all about confessing and forgiveness. And kids, if you are marking down the words in your book somewhere, whether you're at home or here today at church, the word you're looking for is confessing. Confessing. And we're also celebrating communion today. And this is such an important thing for us to do as a church family, going back to reflect on what, what Jesus has done to take care of our sin and our guilt. So that we can be in our right, right relationship with Him. And to maintain that right relationship with Him. So today we will see how important it is that we deal with our sin in the right way. To be honest about our sin. And to bring that sin to God. Confessing to Him where we have failed. So that like David, we too can experience true happiness in our relationship with God and with other people. So let us turn our attention to Psalm 32. And let's read this text together. So open your Bibles to Psalm 32. And I'll read from verse 1. The title says, Blessed are the forgiven, a mascal of David. Verse 1. Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no inequity, and in whose spirit... There is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, 
Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with a bit and bridle, or it may not stray near you. Stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, verse 10. But the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see, Psalm 32 is one of seven psalms that deal with this issue of confession and repentance and the right attitude that goes along with it. The first one is found in Psalm 6. And the second one is now only found in Psalm 32. And if you know the story of King David, you recognize that he had gone through quite a change in his life. I mean, he was a shepherd boy who for most of his childhood was concerned about taking care of the family's flock, right? Out in the fields with the sheep, where everything was fairly quiet and, and tranquil. Not knowing that God would raise him up to become this great warrior. I mean, we know of his great fight he had with Goliath. And eventually, the king over Israel. We told he was a man after God's own heart. And in the book of First and Second Samuel, we see that some events of his life recorded the highs and the lows. And in particular, we know that David had a few very significant lows. 2 Samuel 11, to, in chapter 11 and 12 tells us it involved adultery, murder, deception. Now instead of the, the peace and quiet from the fields watching the sheep, he is in this new context, this, this different context. We, he found himself to be this leader. But he was out one day and he was looking at another man's wife, lusting after her. Then he had this affair with her and he tried to cover his behavior and himself by having the husband fight on the front lines of the battle. The husband goes to the war, he stays behind, and that ensured the husband would die. In fact, what Hamilton read, Psalm 51, he's pouring out his heart before God in true repentance and confession. After God sent his prophet Nathan to confront David and the Spirit of God and the Word of God convicted him of his sin. And in that psalm he promises that he will share that what he had learned from that experience. He's like, praise God. Please God, make me clean, make me clean. Fix my heart again. Then in verse 13 of Psalm 51 he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will return to you. Many of the scholars think that Psalm 32 actually comes after Psalm 51. He's now sharing with us what he learned from that experience. The experience of that initially not confessing his sin to God. And now he was, this, this, this cloud of sin was hanging over his head. But then also very importantly how he did confess his sin to God. His wickedness. And he found true happiness and blessedness. 
and knowing how forgiven he is. And if David can be forgiven of his sin, church, true happiness like this can be found by us as well. God can forgive you as well. We need to cultivate lives that are continually confessing our sins before God because if we don't, it's going to hinder our relationship with God. As Christians, unconfessed sin doesn't change our position before God, but it does impact our relationship with God. That's the difference between positional forgiveness and relational forgiveness. And maybe you're like, what on earth is that? What is that? What are you talking about? Well, let me try and explain. See, your salvation is not based on whether you as a believer had confessed and repented of every single sin that you have ever committed. So like you're afraid you won't make it even because you did not confess every single sin you've committed in your life. You see, what the Bible teaches is that we should confess our sins to God as soon as we are aware that we have sinned. But when we place our faith in Jesus, in Christ for salvation, the Bible says all our sins are forgiven. That includes past, present, future, big, small, all of it. Forgiven. That is positional forgiveness. And it sounds a lot like what? Justification, right? Justification. Positional, your status before God is related to the doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus. Something we're going to look at more specifically when we get back into the book of Galatians. I'm getting very excited to dive into this next section of Galatians with you. You see, the thing with positional, your your standing or your status before God is that Jesus died to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And when they are forgiven, they are all forgiven. Acts 10.43 says, To Him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. But again, we are told that we need to continue to confess our sins because in 1 John 1 verse 9 it says if and that's a big if if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness and what this verse tells us to do is to confess our sins to God right and essentially the word confess means to agree with to agree with we confess our sins to God Which means we are agreeing with God that we are wrong. That we have sinned against Him. And God forgives us and He purifies us through confession on an ongoing basis. Because of the fact that He is faithful and just. Now at the same time, if you look at 1 John 1 verse 9, it does indicate that somehow forgiveness is dependent on our confession or confessing our sins to God. That is why I said the if is so important. And you're like, how does this work then if all our sins are already forgiven? That moment we receive Jesus as our Savior. Well, that is why we're talking about relational forgiveness as well. You see, all of our sins are forgiven positionally. You are justified, declared right before God. The moment we receive Christ as Savior. But the idea of relational forgiveness is based on the fact that even when we sin now as Christians, we offend God and the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, verse 30. 
See, while God has ultimately forgiven us of the sins we commit, they still result in blocking our and hindering our relationship with Him. I mean, think of a young child who sins against his father. This child is not going to be thrown out of the family. You see, a godly father will love and forgive his children unconditionally. But to have a good relationship again, what must happen? What needs to happen? Confession and an apology, right? When a child confesses his mistakes to his father and apologizes, that relationship is restored and it's a happy one again. A blessed relationship. That's why we confess our sins to God. Not because we can lose our salvation, but to bring us back to this wonderful, intimate fellowship and relationship with our loving Father. And that is why it is so important. And we're talking about all this positional and relational forgiveness today. And all of this is just introduction to, to David and what are we going to learn from this psalm. David wants to instruct us because the word masculine at the beginning of the psalm actually means instruction. It's an it's a instruction that has been put to a melody. So you could say Psalm 32 is like a song of instruction. Showing us the importance of living a life of continual confession to be truly happy. And so starting in verse 1, we will see that living a life of confession... Number one, will allow you to be honest about your sin. Point number one, living a life of confession will allow you to be honest about your sin. This is verses one and two. In other words, the more I see my sin for what it really is, the more I can confess that sin and embrace God's solution for that sin. This is what David says. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. You see, David starts the psalm with words of praise, because the word blessed can be translated happy. Like we see in the New Testament with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. And Psalm 1 also starts this way, Blessed is he who walks and does this and that and relates to God based on wisdom. And now, since Psalm 1, this is only the next time this word blessed is used in this way, in Psalm 32. It opens up the same way. To focus on the blessing or happiness of true forgiveness. David came to realize that if he was accepted and forgiven by God, then nothing else matters in his life. Nothing else matters. That was the true source of his happiness. And we want to be happier people right now as well, don't we? But in order to understand the, the blessing of God's forgiveness, we first have to be like David and be honest about our sin. We have to be honest about our sin. People who live a life of confession will be honest about their sin. And that is why he uses four different words here describe the, the, the extent of the sin. The first word is what? Transgressor. Transgressor. Because part of the problem we have in our relationship with God is that we are transgressors. I mean, the word transgressor means we need, we see the sign that says do not enter, and what do we do? We enter. We trespass. 
God says, do not love other idols, we love other idols. God says, do not look like with, to, uh, with others with lust in your heart, we look at others with lust in our hearts. So the law of God shows us how wrong we are. The second word is sin. And we all know this word very well, sin. It essentially means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. To not live up to God's standards. I mean, it's like during these lockdown months at the back of my house, we put up a, a netball hoop for us to be practicing netball with my family and my kids. And, and we set ourselves this target and the standard of trying to shoot 10 hoops in a row. And every time we miss the hoop, we are missing the mark and failing to reach that standard. And every time we sin, we miss the mark as well. We miss God's standard. And then notice the third word David uses here. He uses the word iniquity. And iniquity essentially means we are twisted. We have this bias towards ourselves. And we are morally perverse or corrupt because of sin that is part of our nature. And the last word he uses here is deceit. End of verse 2. Deceit. And of course deceit means we are not honest. Because that is what sin does, isn't it? It causes us to lie to ourselves and to other people. So much so that we start to believe ourselves like we see David does. But the problem is that you can't be lying to yourself and think you can still be truly happy in a relationship with God. They don't go together. One scholar says, A man who lies to himself and listens to his own lie comes to a point where he does not discern any truth either in himself or anywhere around him, and thus falls into disrespect towards himself and others. That's why if we are going to understand God's forgiveness and experience true happiness, then we need to be first, we first need to be honest with ourselves, and specifically honest about the totality of our sins. Because that's the idea here. That's why David uses all these words, all these different words, to show the totalness of his sinfulness. The totalness of his sinfulness. Because it's hard to confess sin if you don't think you have any sin to confess, isn't it? For some of us, we like to pretend that we are not as bad as the Bible says we are. We don't like talking about sin, we don't like being wrong. We'd rather get defensive and we get proud. We are full of excuses. We don't like to be in a position where we constantly need forgiveness. I like how one man said, he said, Sin is like a beard. You can shave it off, but it keeps growing back. Why? Because it's in you. It's in you. And so to truly appreciate God's solution, you first need to see the problem. But what is the solution to your sin from this morning? What is the solution to your sin from yesterday? Last week? Since we've seen each other? David uses another bunch of words and ideas here to describe the true source of his happiness after he recognizes his sinfulness. And what's the first word here? The first word is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Forgiven means lifted or removed. It's like 
the annual day of atonement back in the Old Testament when they had these Jewish services where the scapegoat will come in and after this sacrifice has been made with the one, the other one is like this goat that symbolically carries away the sin into the wilderness. It's like carrying this heavy burden on the back of your shoulders and all of a sudden that burden has been lifted off. And honestly, maybe that's someone in this room today. You think you are carrying this burden on your back and no one else knows. No one else can see that you have to carry all these guilt feelings. But we know that God does, doesn't He? And so the question is, what are you going to do with that burden, that guilt? How are you going to find the relief and the happiness you want in God? Because look at the next word he uses. He says, covered, whose sin is covered. It's not like someone covering up his messy wardrobe by simply closing the door, you know. That's not the cover that's in mind here. If you open up the door, there's just chaos everywhere. Maybe like my kids sometimes. Now, cover here means that God actually takes care of the, the mess inside the cupboard. When we confess our sin to God, He covers that sin by removing it from His sight. It's gone as far as the east is from the west. He takes it away as if it was never there in the first place. He wipes the dirty slate clean from all that guilt and shame. He blots it out, like Isaiah says, Isaiah 43:25. I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And if that is not enough, look at the third source of true happiness here, because He says, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Counts no iniquity. Now, if you were to hear that word count, counting, sounds like accounting, because it is a financial term that's being used here. Another translation uses the word imputation, which means if we are honest about our sins and we confess our sins before God, He cancels the debt we owe. All that debt you have because of your sin, it never existed. It's gone. But notice, this is big. He doesn't say someone is happy and blessed if the Lord does not count his iniquity. He says, doesn't count his iniquity against him. Emphasis on him. Because who does he count the iniquity on? He counts it against his son. God still has to count all your sin and my sin against someone. So he takes all of your sin and my sin and he holds it against Jesus. Because someone has to pay. And so our hope of happiness and true forgiveness lies in the fact that a holy God is willing to put all our sin on His Holy Son. So that we can be in a right, right relationship with Him. Because just imagine for a second what it would be like if God did hold and count your iniquity against you. What would your relationship with God look like then? You see, to know this joy, this happiness, and this blessing, you need to be honest about your sin. To embrace God's perfect solution for that sin. But next we see, number two, living a life of confession 
will prevent you from covering your sin. If you are someone that continually confesses your sin, it's going to stop you and hinder you from covering that sin. This is verses 3 and 4. He says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat by the heat of the summer. David explains here to us what happened when he did not confess his sins to God. And the first thing we notice is that he kept silent. He kept silent. He was stopping talking to God. He wasn't praying anymore because he knew he was wrong. He didn't want to deal with his sin in the way that was right. And how easily do we do the same? When we sin, when we feel guilty, we stop talking to God. And honestly, we stop talking to other people as well because we shut them out. Because if we let them in, they might see this an issue, this burden that we are carrying. It comes back to the front of our minds and we don't like it. We think like David, if we keep silent, over time the problem is just going to go away. These feelings of guilt that I'm suppressing will go away. But did that happen to David? Look at what happened to David. What does he say happened to him when he did not confess his sin? My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David says he became a physical wreck. This once great warrior that was able to slay someone like Goliath is now someone that says, my bones is wasting away. He started to experience the, the physical consequences of not confessing his sin. And again, perhaps you know what that means. You know what that is like. When you are trying to cover your sin deep down in your relationship with God, you know it's not where it should be and it leads to this anxiety, depression, high levels of stress, sleepless nights. This continuous sense of being overwhelmed. And all these spiritual problems lead to physical problems. You see, David was hiding his sin for almost a whole year. A whole year. Instead of confessing his sins to God, he tried to cover it up. And over time, it was like this cancer that was growing inside of him. Making him weaker and weaker by the moment. Causing him to groan. Groan on the inside, knowing that he's wrong, but he's just not willing to confess. Too stubborn to confess. Just look what he says next in, in verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. If you are going to cover up your sin and not confess your sin to God as His child, you can and should expect the gracious, heavy hand of God in your life right now. The loving hand of a father who is seeking to get his child to turn from his sin. Spurgeon, he said, God does not permit his children to sin specifically. He was feeling the hand of God in his life to the extent that he felt like a, a dried up plant in the scorching heat of the sun, sapped of all its energy and power. This beloved mighty king was being humbled by God. Psalm 51, 8 says, 
when God did humble, when he did humble himself and confess his sin to God, David said, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Who did the breaking of the bones? Says David. He recognized that this heavy hand of God was a good thing in his life. Maybe you don't think it's a good thing right now, but it's a good thing, the Bible says. We need to be thankful if God is doing that in your life right now. All the suffering that you might be experiencing could be God wanting you to bring you back into the right relationship with Him. And so what we've seen this far that makes it so clear is that God's grace motivates us to confess our sin. The grace of God motivates us to confess our sin. Because if you do, He's ready to forgive you. To cleanse you. To count your sin against His Son. And this heavy hand of grace might be causing you to see that you can't stand on your own strength anymore. Covering up your sin. Instead, all this grace from a loving Father motivates us to run to Him and not be silent. To confess our sin so that we too can be renewed. In Psalm 31, just one psalm before this, in verse 9, David says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. Is that you today? Are you so burdened by the guilt of your sin that it is starting to affect you physically? For David, all this living with deceit, covering up what was truly going on in his heart, it not only impacted his relationship with God, it impacted him physically. One man says it like this, Guilt is to the conscience what pain is to the body. It tells us that something is wrong and must be made right, or things will get worse. All of this drove David to confess his sin before God. Because thirdly, what we see is that living a life of confession, number three, will make you secure in God. Will make you secure in God. Verses 5 to 7. See, in these verses, David shows us what happens if you do confess your sin before God. Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, And I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I mean, it's almost like David is making this declaration, this resolve, because of the clarity with which he now sees being honest about his sin, saying, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. You see, David didn't make any more excuses. He didn't try to convince himself to rather stay silent. You see, at the time, perhaps in his weakness, he wasn't sure what was going to happen if he did confess his sins. But what did he experience? And what can we expect if we confess our sin to God? The grace and the mercy of a loving Father. Because God forgave him, he says. Maybe like what Acts 3 verse 19 says in the New Testament. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. David found his strength again 
when he confessed his sin and he experienced this time of refreshing that comes from being back in the presence of God. He was speaking with God again. In fact, and Paul actually quotes Psalm 32 in Romans chapter 4 to point out that God gives those who look to Him by faith the righteousness of Jesus, this amazing blessing of being forgiven. Not because of any works done by us to earn this forgiveness. And clearly David didn't do anything to earn the forgiveness, this amazing blessedness that he just received. Rather, God was the one that pursued him through the prophet Nathan. This heavy hand was working in his heart. Well, David was trying to cover it up, but when he confessed, he experienced this blessing of believing that the gospel is as good as it says it is. That's what I want to know from you. Maybe the reason why you don't confess your sin is because either you take the gospel for granted, or you don't think the, the good news is as good as the Bible says it really is. That Jesus won't forgive you if you tell Him what you have done. But the Bible makes it clear that the grace of God motivates us to confess our sins. In Matthew 6 verse 12, Jesus says we ought to pray a certain way. And what? Ask for our daily forgiveness. And here in Psalm 32 and verse 6, David says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer a prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach Him. See, God wants us to pray quickly and confess quickly. And not to delay like David did. David says, let everyone who is godly pray. He wants to see other people, believers, experience this forgiveness as well. Because the longer we delay, the great rush of waters might come upon you. But if you do live a life where you confess your sins quickly, God says you will be safe with Him. You will be safe with Him. Look at verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Can you see David made this great exchange? He's exchanging the, the hiding of his sin for a hiding place in God. When we live a life of continual, quick confession, we find our security and our safety back in the presence of God. And once we are back in the loving arms of our Father, He preserves us from trouble. You see, by, because confessing my sin makes me aware of my sin. And it keeps me from sinning against God again and again and again. So we need to stay in the presence of God. On a continual basis. And look at look what David says next. He says, if you do that, verse 7, end of verse 7, he says, you surround me with shouts of deliverance. The more I confess my sin, the more I am reminded of the gospel. It's like you're surrounded by this, this large crowd when you go to confess your sin before God and everyone is shouting, Forgiven! Cleansed. Debt paid. You belong to Jesus. He loves you. Over and over and over again. 
makes you think of Hebrews 12. Verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God on the throne. If you run away from God and you stop talking with God and you're not living a life of continual confession, then you don't lose your union with God, but you lose your communion with God. You forget the gospel and the implication it has on your life. But if we do the opposite, if we do live a life of confession, then first it will allow you to be honest about your sin. And once you understand your sin, uh, and you understand the blessing that it means to be truly forgiven. Secondly, it will prevent you from covering your sin. We are wasting away physically and spiritually. And thirdly, it will make you secure in God. Being safe in His presence and being reminded of the grace you have in Him. And now finally, number four. If we are living a life of continual confession, it will help you to obey God. It will help you to obey God. Verses 8, 8 to 11. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit or bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see in verses 8 and 9, we see that God now actually speaks to David. God is now speaking to David after he confessed his sins. And God gives David this assurance that God will teach him how to live for his glory. What a wonderful picture. When you know you've messed up and you've confessed that sin, and you don't want to do it again, God is not only loving and helping you realize that how forgiven you are, but also, like He does with David, He gives us the encouragement that He will help us to avoid that sin in the future. God said to David, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. I mean, it's like when I practice cricket with my son at home and we, I'm giving, he's doing something wrong and I'm giving him this instruction on what to do right. And then when he's going back to school and he's practicing his cricket next to the field, I'm standing next to the field and he has this joy and discomfort knowing that his dad is keeping an eye on him. You see, David's faith must now translate into obedience. God doesn't forgive us just so that we can go back to keep on sinning. Rather, He instructs us how we are to live for Him. By keeping His eye on His children. And you know what? When David was sitting with Bathsheba, he was acting like a wild animal. Like a horse that just goes after the lust that's running away in his heart. Running at great speeds towards his own desires. But at the same time, he's like a stubborn donkey trying to cover his sin, not wanting to repent of it, because he loved his sin. 
God says the only way to control an animal that is out of control like that is to break him and to harness him. Maybe God is busy breaking you. It's like when I take my dog out for a walk, you know, he's foaming at the mouth because he's just so excited to go out there into the world and sniff stuff. He just wants to go all over the place and I have to restrain him. I have to pull him back to calm him down. I mean, but when he gets to a light post, man, he's like all fours down, camped for the next week. He just wants to sniff away at this one lamppost all day. Now instead of treating David like I do my dog, God says, I want to treat my children by keeping my eye on them because I love them. But does this mean that David did not experience the consequences of his sin? What do we know? What we know, as one commentator explains, that God's word says, you will reap what you have sown. Bathsheba conceived and gave birth to a son, but that baby died. David's son Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar in 2 Samuel 13 and was slain by David's son Absalom. And then Absalom tried to seize the throne and he was slain by Joab, 2 Samuel 14-18. While David was dying, his son Adonijah tried to take the scepter from Solomon, 1 Kings 1. And Adonijah was then also killed. But through all of this that David faced and his consequences and the challenges in his life, he did it with God's help. He lived with a a clean conscience before God, no matter the consequences. He was able to assemble what was needed to build the temple so that Solomon, this is Bathsheba's second son, could build it. You see, those who are quick to confess stay in the presence of God, embracing the truth of God's word, and are able to face the consequences of their sin Being like David, knowing that the sorrows will be many for those who are wicked. Verse 10. But then there's this big but here. This big but. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. You have to trust God with the consequences of your sin. Because He promises that His steadfast love will be around those who will confess their sin before Him. Will it be hard? Yes, it will. Will it be easy? No, it won't. Sometimes it can be very hard, but true repentance produces the kind of attitude and relationship with God that David says here in verse 11. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Because the gospel says, I have to trust God that I can do only what I can do, which is to look to Him by faith. Then He accepts me, not on my performance, but on what Jesus did. And this reality produces genuine sorrow when we do sin. But it also produces genuine joy, knowing that my relationship with God is where it should be. An upright heart. David says, knowing that I am forgiven for those who are quick to confess their sins before God. So what what have we seen from this psalm today? We have seen that true happiness is found when we live lives of confessing our sins before God. 
knowing it will allow you to be honest about your sin, knowing it will prevent you from covering your sin, knowing it will make you secure in God, and knowing that it will help you to obey God. Maybe the heavy hand of God is on you right now. Maybe turn to God and confess your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that we serve such a wonderful, loving, merciful Father who is willing to listen to our confessions. Lord, we know when we fail. We know. So Father, I do pray for forgive us. Forgive me, Lord, for the ways I do not run to you in confession quickly, trying to cover it up or pretend it's not there. Thank you, Father, for forgiving my sin. Thank you, Father, for giving us our sins because of Jesus. Teach us, Lord, to confess our sin rather than to remain silent. I ask that all of us here might come to you in prayer for forgiveness, Lord. That we would find our hiding place, our shelter in you. Thank you that you are the kind of God that not only forgives us, but you are willing to teach us and keep your eye on us to help us not to make the same mistakes again. So Father, we know if we are the kind of people that are going to be honest about our sins, we will run to you quickly, to confess quickly, because the gospel motivates us to come again and again and again with so much confidence knowing that you are ready to forgive. That you have poured out our iniquity on your Son. And so, Father, if there's anyone here today that's trying to cover up their sin, Lord, help them to confess. Help them to restore that relationship with you. Holy Spirit, work in their hearts. Show them what true repentance really looks like. True repentance is willing to accept the consequences of my behavior, trusting in the faithfulness of my Savior. And thank you, Father, that we can do this together corporately, even now as we're going to partake in communion. So we cry out before you today, Lord, that please wash us clean like you did with David. Renew a right spirit within us so that we can live confidently in the gospel the way we've seen Paul has done in the nations. Knowing how justified we are because of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.